You are listening to audio from Western Meadows Baptist Church. Here at WMBC, we are disciples of Jesus who make disciples through the teaching of Scripture, prayer, and living together in community. If you would like to listen to more, go to our Apple Podcasts or to our website, wmbc.church. Please do not edit, copy, or sell this material without prior permission of WMBC. Thank you for listening. All right. Well, let us go ahead and get going. And so if you if you haven't grabbed a copy, we do have a couple more up here. So um, feel free to grab those if you need one. So, um, yeah, right up here. So, um, and so, like I said, we're going to be uh, doing questions six and seven. Um, so kind of an overview of where we've been so far. Questions one and two, they kind of gave us the, the introduction and talked about um, that that the true comfort can only be found in Christ and who, who's the one who gives us our identity. And we talked about uh, expressive individualism is the, is the water that we're swimming in today. And last week we talked about the first three questions, questions three, four, and five, which I'm going to go ahead and read just as a, as a quick recap of that because that's really important to know going into question six. So... Uh, so question three asked, how many sexes did God make at creation? Answer, God made two sexes at creation. And then here he quotes Genesis 1, which we went to last week. God, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Question four, what does God require of us in making us in his image? God requires that we love him as he created us, male or female, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves and then question five why did God make us male and female in his own image answer that we might use all the excellent qualities with which he made us in true righteousness and holiness in body and soul as male and female for his glory as we exercise dominion over all the earth and we talked about that 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 phrase body and soul is pretty important God made us male and female and he made us into holistic beings right and so um, so it's not it's not just our bodies uh, that are male and female right but he but but our but our souls are male and female he created us he and, and we talked about how that was God's good design because together male and female reflect and give an, and give an accurate image of what God is like even though you know, obviously it's not a complete and perfect image, right? Because he's God, right? But as much as you can image the holy God, right? That is what he's designed us to do. And so today, as we said, we're, so having that as the base of talking about the Imago Dei, that we were made in the image of God, that God had a design for us. He created us in two sexes, male and female. Now we get into these questions, questions six, seven, and eight, where we're going to discuss it's probably one of the most hot topics today, right? Transgenderism. So let's pray to the Lord to be gracious to us, and then we will dive into our study. Father, uh, Lord, as um, we set ourselves to discussing what is um, uh, just one of the most tragic uh, ideologies that, um, that, is, that is sadly so present today, um, Father, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought, uh, I pray that you will help us to think biblically and to think clearly um, about um, about all of these things. Um, and I pray that you would help us uh, to be firmly rooted in your truth, 
um, so that we would um, have an, that we would be grounded in the hope of the gospel, and that we would be a people who are ready to uh, express the reason for the hope that we have in us in a world that is that is floundering and broken and longing for truth, uh, even though many of them don't know it. And so, Father, um, I pray that as we go through all of these just very difficult topics, uh, that you will stir up love in our hearts uh, for those who are broken and seeking truth, and that you will help us to be ready to lead them to Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. On August 22, 1965, Ron and Janet Reamer welcomed their twin boys into the world, Bruce and Brian. So six months later, both of those boys were diagnosed with phimosis, and I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is when the foreskin of the penis cannot retract and it obstructs urination. And again, this is particularly where I said, you know, kids. <laughs> so, so this is going to be a little bit of a brutal one. So on April 27th, 1966, Bruce underwent circumcision to remove his foreskin, but rather than using a scalpel, which is the typical way that circumcision is done, the physician decided to use cauterization, so to literally burn away the foreskin from the penis. And so the procedure failed, and it left Bruce's penis severely damaged and unfunctional. Brian was not circumcised, and his phimosis healed naturally as he grew up. In their distress, his parents, Ron and Janet, they consulted an increasingly well-known psychologist and sexologist named John Money. And that's an important name to remember going forward. Money believed that the gender roles and identity were social, were social constructs and ought to be distinguished from biological sex. Bruce and Brian were too intriguing of an experiment for money to pass up. So since Bruce no longer had a functional penis, money made the very medical professional suggestion that Bruce should be raised as a girl. And Bruce's identical twin, Brian, since he did have a functional penis, would be raised as a boy. And since they were identical twins, they would provide, they would be, prove to be the perfect experiment, right? Because in every experiment, you have the experimental group and you have the control group, right? So Bruce would be the experimental, the one who was raised as a girl, never told that he was a boy biologically. And his brother, Brian, he would be the control, the one who was raised as his biological sex. The Reamers, they followed Money's treatment plan. Bruce's testicles and penis were removed, and a vaginal canal was constructed in their place. His name was changed to Brenda, and from that point on, he was raised as a girl. And although he took doses of of estrogen all of his childhood, Reamer was never told that he was born a male until the age of 15. So Reamer's father told him the truth, and Reamer later claimed that he always felt like a boy, and quickly assumed a male identity after he was told the truth, changing his name to David. He began testosterone therapy, and by the age of 21, he had his breasts removed, and he had a new reconstructed penis attached. He married eventually a single mother of three in September of 1990, and although they were married for 14 years, their marriage was Often strained, and at the age of 38, Reamer committed suicide two days after his wife told him that she wanted a divorce. Now, after establishing the goodness and purpose of God's design in forming 
humanity as two sexes, male and female, last week, we move on to question number six, which asks, but aren't we able to make a distinction between biological sex and gender in our search of identity? The answer that Gordon gives, no. God established a natural order in the creation of male and female that is good for us as image bearers of God. To introduce gender as a new category of personhood, separate from the biological category of sex, in pursuit of a different sexual identity, is unnatural to the created order and harmful to the purpose for which God made us. So in reading through this catechism for the first time, we might be tempted to wonder why Gordon never actually uses the word transgender, right? So that seems to be a little bit of a glaring admission, right? But I don't think we should think that that's a bad thing. Instead, this is one of my favorite questions throughout the whole document. And when, I read, when I first read this question, I was like, no, we need, to, we need to get this for the church. We need to go through this as a church. Because I think the beauty of this question is Gordon doesn't get lost in the weeds that mark the transgender debate. Instead, he goes directly at the source and he asks the question, should we even be distinguishing between sex and gender at all? Right? And in reality, don't we... Haven't we already kind of seeded that ground? We typically tend to talk about gender as if it is a different category apart from sex. But in reality, that is, that's giving the ground to the opposition, right? Because the answer is no. God's design of both male and female to display his image and likeness is good, and anything else only seeks to pervert and corrupt that design. And that is precisely the effect of introducing gender in the discussion of our identity. And you may wonder, well, I mean, hasn't the term gender always been around? Well, yes, but mostly before the last couple of decades, gender has primarily been a linguistic term, right? So you have, in languages like Spanish, all different words have different genders to them, right? So, so different words are masculine, different words are feminine, right? Uh, but, but it is a completely new thing to introduce the concept of a gender identity, in human beings that is separate from biological sex, right? And that was introduced primarily by John Money. That's why I began with the story of Bruce slash Brenda slash David Reamer, because the physician who oversaw his gender transition, Money, is the one who is responsible for coining that term gender identity. Despite the the Reamer's eventual hatred of Money, Bruce slash David even threatened to kill himself at the age of 13 if his parents ever took them back to money. Money deemed the experiment to be a tremendous success. So he said that it was a successful transition, and that has largely been the primary experiment that has, that has resulted in physicians now affirming and saying that sex, trans, that sex change surgeries are now the best way to treat gender dysphoria, right? The, 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 the feeling that a person has that their, that, their, that their sex is different from, that their gender is different from the sex that they were born into. And so that experiment has been widely used by the medical and scientific community to defend and justify money's idea that gender is a fluid concept, right? And that it is a social construct. It's shaped by one's environment. You may have a biological sex that you're born into, but your gender is determined by society. And so that can change, that can morph, and if possible with science, we can change someone's biological sex to reflect their inward gender feeling, right? So that's all John Money. He is the father of this entire movement. Now later, Reamer revealed that their sessions with Money filled with abuse. You might say, surprise, surprise, right? 
So money forced the twins to inspect one another's genitals and act out a variety of sexual positions, sometimes in front of money alone. He said at least one time he took photos of them, so he was taking pictures of them, and many times before several of his colleagues. And so it probably wouldn't be surprising to us that he was also that money is also a, a, a um, one of the primary peddlers of uh, affirming um, um, oh oh huh pedophilia there we go that's the word pedophilia uh, as, as of right as, as of late, as a legitimate sexual identity right of, of that it's completely harmless to to want to have sex with children right and so he did these things with these two twin boys right having them act out sexual positions and if they refused money would money would become enraged at them Unfortunately, it's not surprising that Brian Reamer, so the, the boy that was raised as a boy, right? You might think, well, he has the better end of the stick, right, <laughs> in this whole circumstance. But no, he suffered from depression and schizophrenia all of his life, and he died of an overdose of antidepressant medication just two years before David committed suicide. And so the reason I bring up the story of Reamer and money is not to make an ad hominem attack on the transgender ideology, Right? But instead, I'm simply noting that the pedophilic and abusive roots from which it has grown up, they're important to understanding this movement. You see, in contrast to the loving design of the good creator that we talked about last week, right, of how God made us male and female, and he created us to flourish and to love one another and to reflect his image, right? The father of the whole gender fluidity movement was wicked and deviant. He was a pedophile and an abuser. So this is crucial because healthy roots produce healthy fruits, whereas unhealthy roots produce unhealthy fruits. And of course, this is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? But Gordon is right to emphasize here that the deviation from God's order of creation is ultimately harmful to us, right? So it's not just that this robs God of his glory, right, when we go from God's design, but again, just as we talked about with the law this morning, God establishes his design, yes, for his glory, but also for our good, right? He's a loving father that he gives us laws, he gives us rules for our flourishing, right? Just like when I tell the girls that you can't play in the street, I'm not trying to limit their freedom, I'm trying to protect them, right? And so that's God's designs. But nevertheless, the concept of defining our own gender is so appealing because, as we said Back in the first week, we're all expressive individualists, right? The water that we swim in today, the, the default religion of all of us is self. And that, and that the most important thing for me in my life is to express who I am on the inside. The, the most important thing is not for me to conform to God's pattern, to God's design, but instead I need to say who I am, right? And Owen Stratton, he writes this. He says, in this framework... Transgenderism makes perfect sense. And have you ever wondered that? Where has, the, where has all of this come from, <laughs> right? Looked at the craziness of the world and just kind of wondered, how did we get here? Well, this is how we got here, right? Transgenderism is the natural outwork of expressive individualism. If you can control your own identity, if, you, if what you say you feel on the inside is the most important thing about you, it's only natural that you would take that to the logical extreme and you would say, well, I can change every part about me, right? So he says, transgenderism makes perfect sense. It completely fits within this worldview. We understand the cultural push 
to normalize it as part and parcel of a much bigger worldview. And that's a lot of what I want to focus on tonight. Transgenderism does not emerge in a vacuum. And that is really important for us to know. It serves as one part of a system that begins without God, but with a hard-to-identify spark of, divined, of divinized force moving through the universe. Sensualism is spirituality. Transgenderism seems not merely one part of this new realm, but transgenderism, one could argue, is actually the apotheosis of the whole worldview. And that apotheosis is that's a, a term that a lot of the, 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 the Eastern Orthodox use a lot for, for the, how, how we, as Christians, we will be glorified to be like God, right? God, will, God is bringing us into himself, and he's continuously making us more like himself. Not that we become gods, right? But we become, as Peter says, partakers of the divine nature. And so just as our glorification is the ultimate goal of us as Christians, right, to, be, to, to, to have the same resurrected bodies as Christ— in a lot of ways, the transgender movements is kind of the apotheosis, the end goal of this movement, of this expressive individualism, right? Because it is, it, what was clearly distinguished in anatomy becomes one. And indeed, this blurring of the clear biological distinctions between male and female is fundamentally, not just expressive individualistic, but it's also pagan and satanic. And I mean those like, Absolutely, like, you know, that's, that's not a hyperbole. This literally is pagan and satanic. So thinking back to Genesis 1, although the world was first without form and void, what did God do to create? He created through division and distinction, right? He divided light from the darkness. He divided waters from waters to create the air, and he divided land from the waters. And furthermore, on the larger level, Genesis 1 gives us three large distinctions, and they play out in this order. There's the distinction between the creator and the creation, right? We have that right from the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Right there, there's the distinction. There's a God who's the creator, and then there's everything else that's the created thing. Well, then we move on. We have the distinction between man and the animals. We have all of the creatures that were created by God. And then we have God say, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So, he's, so God is creating something that's unlike, that, that is like the animals, but is separate and apart from the animals, right? That, is, that has a special place over the animals. And then the third distinction in Genesis 1 is we have the distinction between male and female, Right? And so it's interesting that those are introduced in that order because they go from the, from the largest gap, right, the creator and the creation, to man and the animals, to male and female, right, where the distinction is, 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 is still real, but it's most smallest, where male and female, we're, we're all human, and we're all made in the image of God, and we're all worthy of dignity and respect, right? But there is a distinction. And indeed, because only God is infinite, He is only able to bring unity through distinctions as a display of his might. Distinctions with God, they are are not, they, they, they do not challenge his power in any way. He makes us in his likeness, and he gives us glory within the created order without any diminishing of his glory. So God can give us, and he will in the, in the new earth, he will give us and, and continue to glorify us as he makes us more like himself. And that's never going to diminish his glory, right? 
And the reason for that is because he is holy and completely apart from the created order. So our glory, however glorious we become, is never a threat to his. Right? However great the finite becomes, it will never scratch the surface of the infinite. So God can give glory to us without, any, without it, it, it ever phasing his own glory. Now let's think about Satan on the other hand. Right? So Satan first fell by denying the creator-creation distinction. And he has been blurring all those divinely instituted distinctions ever since. Indeed, though Satan promises power and individuality to those who follow after his lie, all Satan ends up doing is blending and consuming, right? Everything that Satan does ultimately makes things a mushy one sameness. And this is one of the reasons why you have in pagan religions like Hinduism, you have that, that, that appeal for, well, we're all one, right? We're all a part of the same thing, right? Because it's, it's all fo- fundamentally following after the lie of Satan. And we glimpse this within the demonic host, right? Because many times in the Bible, we're told, we're attribute, we're, we're told that things are attributed to the demons, right? But a lot of times, the work of demons in general is just attributed to Satan, right? Almost as if like the, the whole demon host has just been kind of morphed in and mushed together with Satan himself. And the reality is, is those are the only two worldviews available to believe. That's it. There's nothing else, right? There's to follow the creator or there's to follow after Satan, right? So Peter Jones, he's a he wrote a really great book called The Other Worldview where he explains all of this. And if you, you want a really enlightening read but a challenging one, uh, it's not, not, not very uplifting, uh, but it's called The Other Worldview, and it's, and it's great. He calls these two religions oneism and twoism, but it's probably just a lot simpler if we just call them Christianity and paganism, right? And so the reality is, is that this, and, and he takes this view from Romans chapter 1, and so if you look there really, with me really quick, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. This is where he gets that idea that there's only two religions. So beginning in verse 24, but really 25 is where he gets it. He says, so this is Paul saying, Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And that really is the exchange that's being made any time we commit idolatry, right? Anything else outside of the worship of the one true creator, of the one true and living God, is fundamentally a worship of the creature in some form or fashion, right? It all has to be. So all of it, all of it is under that, that great branch of paganism, right? Uh, and the reason he calls it oneism and twoism is he calls, he's, he calls it uh, Christianity, he calls it twoism because it makes that distinction between the creator and the creation. But anything else that's worshiping something that's a part of creation is necessarily a oneistic religion, right? Because it's not making that creator-creation distinction, right? So everything is, is, is blended together and it's all this mushy oneness, right? And so Peter Jones, he says this about transgenderism. He says that, that paganism is a complete new cosmology that's applied to everyone. At its heart, it makes man a god. 
It joins opposites, it rejects the moral order of good and evil, and it dismisses objective reality of created human nature. It presents, uh, its present effect is to erode the old humanity of the admittedly imperfect Christian civilization, which is indeed coming apart. The new humanity that is coming to us today, trusted to save us, is based on the lie, the serpent's lie. To this seductive falsehood, our modern culture is being given over for its inevitable undoing, both present and in the future. Already, the reassuring stick figures of men and women on separate bathroom doors in public spaces, like airports, are being replaced by gender open signs. And I don't remember exactly when he, <laughs> when he wrote that book, but the very next line he talks about, yeah, and, 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 and even same-sex marriage is about to go up for the courts, right? And it's like, well, yeah, hate to tell you that... that how that turned out, right? So the point of all of this is that the introduction of gender as a separate category from sex is not harmless, right? So to say that we, to, 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 even, to even give ground to that, that gender identity can even be a thing, that's giving ground to something that is inherently false, right? We shouldn't give ground to that. We shouldn't make a distinction between biological sex and gender identity. No, 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 we're born male and female. We have a biological sex, right? And to promote anything else is ultimately, at its roots, it's satanic and it's destructive, okay? Now, the next question addresses one of the most common rebuttals to the sexual binary. You probably have heard this used before. But aren't some people born sexually indeterminate? Well, answer, a small percentage of people are indeed born sexually indeterminate due to the fall, but such are, by definition, anomalies, and in medicine, anomalies never negate objective categories of personhood. We may not use the existence of anomalies to change or redefine the creational order that God has established as good. So Gordon's concise answer here is excellent, and I think it's worth committing to memory because all of creation has been cursed by the effects of sin. Some people are indeed born with genital deformities that make it difficult to determine what their biological sex is. Now, the reason I say difficult is, is because we are all male and female at a chromosomal level, right? But our genitals, we should note, reflect our sex. They do not determine it. And I think that's a really crucial thing that we need to make sure that we understand and that we're communicating, right? Our genitals reflect our sex. Our genitals do not determine our sex. We are male and female at a chromosomal level, right? But sadly, that reflection is sometimes broken, just like what happened with, with Bruce in the story that we opened up with, right? So sometimes through, through, through actual birth defects and sometimes through botched circumcisions like that, but as Gordon says, those anomalies, they do not negate the reality of the two sexes, right? Those are the exceptions to the rule, and there still is a biological sex there. It just might be a little bit more hard to determine than as is normally the case. And we can use a number of analogies when we talk about that, right? A person may be born without legs, but that doesn't change the reality that humans have two legs, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the categorical reality of what it means to be a human being. We, human beings have two legs. A person may not have two legs for any number of reasons, but that doesn't change the reality that that is the norm for all humans, right? Now, question eight. <clears throat> Does God permit us to change our sex? Certainly not. 
To reverse how God created us as male and female due to the fallen, unchosen thoughts and self-perceptions would be an act of rebellion and a gross distortion of God's creative handiwork in specifically forming us for his own glory. Further, in the New Jerusalem, any genital mutilation or confusion over sexual orientation identity will be restored, yeah, not destroyed, in our new resurrection bodies. Therefore, we should not change our sex since God promises to glorify our bodies in everlasting happiness as he created us male and female in the final resurrection. So I love how Gordon phrases this question in its answer as well. So we might expect a denial that it's even possible to change one's sex, right? That, that's probably what we would have assumed that Gordon would have gone with here, right? Well, you can't change your sex. But again, I think Gordon is going deeper to the heart of the matter. He doesn't get bogged down in whether a sex change is actually possible or not. But instead, he's just simply arguing, even if it were, even if you could, even if you could change your sex at a chromosomal level, you could go from a male to a female or from a female to a male, should you? No, (laughs) right? No. Because that's to go against God's design, right? So even if it were, even if it were medically and scientifically possible to change who you are at, the very, at, at your very cells, at the molecular level, no, you still shouldn't, right? Because it still goes against how God designed you to do. And to do anything else is a gross distortion of the created order, right? So I love that he doesn't, he doesn't even bother with that. Is that possible? He just goes straight to the heart. No, you shouldn't. We shouldn't even try. We shouldn't make that a a medical reality at all. Indeed, the very claim that we can change our sex or determine our own sexual identity is an act of prideful idolatry. It's saying, I can determine who I am. I don't have to get my identity from God. I don't have to conform to what he said about the world. No, no, no. I can change who I am. I get to say who I am. And you have to tell me that I am who I am as well, right? You need to conform your view of me to my view of myself because I am my own God. So, in doing so, we rob God of the glory due to him and we establish our own glory and ultimately, as he notes, that's to our harm. Right? It robs God of his glory, but ultimately, who's the person that it harms? It doesn't harm God. It harms us. We should also note that Gordon does not deny the painful reality of what he calls fallen, unchosen thoughts and self-perceptions. Like those born with sexual anomalies, there are those who are born and they feel that they were born into the wrong body. And I feel especially just terrible for young people being raised today, right? Because even if you don't have those thoughts, that's the culture. Those are the thoughts that are being put into so many people's heads. And so even if you have those thoughts, the sexual binary of male and female isn't erased by those thoughts, right? They just All those thoughts do is they just show the depth of the brokenness of our world, right? right? If I covet someone's house, that doesn't mean that I deserve their house. That's a sinful thought, right, that I, that I need to wrestle with. And I need to wrestle with, you know, being content with what I have and, and trusting in what God has said and what God has given to me, right? Now, a couple of thoughts. So first of all, one of the things that we're seeing with this is not only the expressive individualism, but also the rise, again, of Gnosticism. Of the, of the, this is an ancient heresy that the early church dealt with, which is essentially believing that the body doesn't matter. <laughs> that what you are on the inside, right, Matt, is, is what matters most. And so that's being expressed today as expressive individualism in a different way than Gnosticism, but it's 
you know, uh, I think George said when he, when he did the 1689, a really great deal, he says, Satan only has so many heresies, but he's got a number of costumes that he likes to dress them up, right? So none of this is new. It's just, just all different costumes, right? It's being put on and it's expressing its way in a different deal, in a different matter. And we should note that not only from Genesis 1 do we have the affirmation that our bodies matter. God is the one who formed Adam from the dust. He breathed life into his body. He formed Eve from the, from the rib of Adam, right, and presented her to Adam. But also, think about John 1.14. <laughs> that is such a beautiful verse, right? So that is the verse of John's gospel. If, you, if you're still in Romans and you want to flip over there really quick. But it says simply, I bet a lot of you have it memorized. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So, of course, you know, from John chapter one, the word is Jesus, right? And so John is using the, the, the word, the term that Jesus uses there, that John uses there for Jesus. The word is the logos, which is where we get the word logic from, right? And so that was a really loaded philosophical term back in the first century that, refer, that, that, that many would see as the governing principle of all of reality, right? So that's the logos, is, 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 that, is that everything is, is what, what governs reality. That is the logos. And so Jesus is the logos of the universe. He's the one through whom God created everything. When God said, let there be light, it was God creating the world through Jesus, right? Jesus is the word of God. And they would have thought, okay, well, that's great. Jesus is, is, is the logos, right? He is the is that governing principle of all the universe. But then what John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh. Right? He became flesh and blood. He took on our skin and bones. There's one guy I read this week where he said, this is the gospel <laughs> right here, right? That, that the logos, that the, the one who is with God in the beginning and is God in the beginning comes down and dwells among us. And so, and so even, even beyond just Genesis 1, if we want to affirm the dignity of the human body, it's that God himself chose to take on a human body, right? And so our bodies, our bodies they may be broken, right? These bodies that we're, even, that, we're, that we're in right now, they will be corrupted, right? All of us, unless Christ comes back before, we will die. And these bodies will, will rot, Right? But the body is still important, so important, in fact, that we will receive resurrected bodies that are no longer able to be corrupted, right? And that's exactly what Gordon is pointing to there, right? That's the ultimate hope that we all have is in the, the resurrection of our physical bodies. And so uh, we need to, that, that's one of the ways that we need to fight back against this thought process because undergirding this thought process is the reality, well, my body doesn't matter. I can just change it however I want. No, 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 our bodies do matter. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? He says, you were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God with your spirit, your soul. No, glorify God with your body, right? Glorify God with your flesh, with what you're doing, right? Now, we are to glorify him with our spirit and our soul as well, right? But I think it's important that Paul notes that, right? Two last thoughts. First, given all of this, given this ideology that is playing out today, we should prepare both ourselves and especially our children for the decades ahead because we have no idea how all of these wicked ideas are going to play out. So one of the things that, that I was 
chatting with Tom, I think it was at the end of last week, was we have uh, one of Tiff's former co-workers there. Uh, they're two women that are married, and through in vitro, they've, they've, they've had three kids, and they're all about the same ages as our three girls, and I think they're three girls as well. So this is so they're about our same age, right? Have three kids, three daughters, about the exact same age as us, right? So it's like you know, so it's almost like this 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 parallel, right? And in the middle of those kids is being raised. She's is a biological girl, is being raised as a boy, right? And and you know, Tiff had a good Tiff had a good relationship with. That coworker, right? Um, we, you know, we love her, want her to, want her to come to faith in Christ. But it's heartbreaking because, especially uh, if if any of you guys have really got to know Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn's our second, right? Um, and you know, she has what we might call a bit more of a masculine brain, right? She loves cars, loves planes, loves trains, big big engines, all that kind of stuff, right? And now, of course, you see her; she loves dresses. She's very feminine. Right, but it's just tragic, right? That we look at her and we think, like, well, if, with her personality, if she was born into that family, like this other girl was, you know, then all of this would be used as justification for her being raised not as a girl, which she loves being, <laughs> but instead for being forced to be raised as a boy. And even for the people that aren't. Even for the kids today that aren't being raised as the opposite as the opposite sex, right? They're still being raised with an ideology that says you can. They're being raised in a world of jello. And we have no clue what that's going to look like. Now here's the deal, it's going to pass. All of this is already fading, right? There's already a, there's already a, a movement in the society that's rising up against it, right? People are understand, people are beginning to see, right? Even the even non-Christians, right? Even 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 people that don't have a more conservative leaning, right? I don't think that this is going to last very much longer. But the ramifications, the effects of all of this, and so we need to prepare ourselves and especially prepare our children. This is one of the things that me and Tiff think about all the time with our, with our girls is that <clears throat> gone entirely are the days where we can assume that they're going to get decent values and decent morals just by osmosis from the culture around them, right? No, no, no. We have to have the assumption nowadays that we are, we are raising our kids and we ourselves are going into a paganized world, right? We are moving into a world that is that is increasingly becoming almost as almost just as pagan as ancient Rome, right? And so we need to get rid of the thought process that we live in a Christian society. We we don't anymore. That's not the reality. That's past. We're a pro, we're a post Christian society. Thankfully, there's still some lingering effects. Praise the Lord for His grace, right? But we just need to be honest about the time that we're in, and we have no idea what the next couple of decades are going to look like. They'll look like a pagan world, but it won't look exactly like ancient Rome, but probably something like it, right? And so if there's one thing that we can learn from all of this is we've got to prepare ourselves and especially prepare our children. We have, we have no idea what it's going to look like for them, and so we need to ground them in biblical truth. We're, we're, we need to raise them as warriors going out, right? Because that's, that's, that's the world that they'll be living in, is they'll be going into a battlefield as, as life. Right. The second thing I think we should be thinking through 
is how we'll love and apply the gospel to those who, after this ideology fades, after the transgenderism movement has passed, after it's been exposed that no transitioning someone's body is not the best way to deal with gender dysmorphia, right? After all of that's passed, there's still going to be all of these people whose bodies are left in ruins. That they may come to see the truth, they may come to Christ, but there's no changing what happened, right? Their bodies are broken. They've been castrated, right? They no longer have the possibility of children. They may want to, know, to now be a male. They may now want to be a female again, but they're permanently going to look like a mixture, right? And so one of the things that we need to start thinking to as, through as Christians, as those who love the world, right, who understand that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, Right? Our battle is not with the people that are promoting all of these ideologies. And our battle is especially not with those who are actually transitioning. Those are the victims. Right? No, no, no. Our battle is with the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places that are pulling the strings of all of this stuff. Right? And so we need to think, how are we going to love those people? Are we prepared as a church, are we prepared as individuals to love someone who's detransitioning? and who's going to have to face the hard road of life alone, that they're never going to be able to have kids. And not because they were just naturally infertile, right? That's a hard enough road to walk through. But no, because of something that was done to them. So you want to talk about walking through cases of, of abuse, right? So I think those are the two big thoughts that we should take going forward in all of this, right? How are we preparing ourselves for a a brave new world, right? A, a world that is, that is unlike anything that we've personally experienced, right? And then two, how are we preparing ourselves to love those? To love those that are just going to be wrecked by this. Now, and of course, we'll come back to that more. The, the, if you've read ahead, the, the, 40, the, the last question, question 41 of this, I think, is, I think it's great that Gordon ends on that note of how do we love those that are that are that have bought into all of the sexual lies of today's culture right because that's ultimately where we should go with all this is that they're the ones being deceived right and so we should have love for them and we should prepare ourselves to love them and help them walk through repentance as much as we can right well let me pray for us father lord we give you thanks for your goodness towards us um father we know uh, that the the knowledge that you have given to us, the, the word that you have placed within us for the, for the, the, the homes that, that our children are being raised in. We know that that is uh, not the norm for our world today, but instead, um, Lord, all of us in this room, we know, we know people that are, um, that are broken by the things that we're discussing here, by transgenderism and by all the other deviations from your design and so, Father, um, Lord, we, we pray for them. Uh, Lord, we, we, we pray. We know that your heart is, uh, is for the world. Uh, we know that you long to see um, people saved. And so, Father, uh, we pray that you um, would push back this ideology through us and that you would um, open doors for us to have conversations that lead to the gospel and that expose uh, the darkness of these thoughts and bring in the light and the hope of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, um, may that indeed be the case. Lord, we know 
Um, we root ourselves and ground ourselves in the hope that ultimately uh, you you will, your, your glory will cover all of the earth, that all people will bow down before Jesus as the King of kings. And so, um, Lord, help us to be steadfast um, as we wait for that blessed day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.